I'm excited about this new series. Today we're kicking off asking for a friend because we all have questions. We all have questions about life. We all have questions about the person sitting next to us. Some of us have been married to them for a long time. Some of them just getting to know them. We've got questions. Anybody here got questions? Come on, we all got questions. And what we believe as Christians is that the Bible has the answers. Not Pastor Josh, not the elders of the church. We believe the Bible has the answers. And my job, my job is simply to draw your attention to God's answers to our questions today in our culture. There's so many fights about what you think, and we have these terms like, uh, I just have my truth, and you have to have your truth, and, and, and we're of the mindset that there's really only one truth, and that the Bible is that truth, and I know that may sound a little offensive right at the beginning, but I promise we're going to laugh a bit in just a moment, but here's the deal. We've all got questions. Why not go to the oldest historical book that has great validity to our lives and great value for our lives today? Why not go there and ask questions? And so we're going to be bringing a few of those questions to our messages, but I also put a little card on your chair today, and for the next two weeks, we're going to gather every stinking question you might have. If you're bold enough to ask it, we're going to give it a shot at answering it on week three of this series, and so at the end of the service, you can just put it down, and, and listen, you can be 100% anonymous. Couldn't that, isn't that great, right? You, you just say, uh, you know, should I? I love the one about queso. Anybody have that question like, uh, can I eat my weight in queso? Praise God, yes, I can. I want to encourage you to somewhere in the service to say, what about this or what about that? And, and, and listen, listen, the Bible has answers that will encourage, that are life-giving. Some are very challenging. We'll gather those at the end of the service. And on week three, it won't just be me. We're going to be bringing this lovely lady, Amber, to the stage. Week three, it's going to be, she just looked at me like, wow, I didn't know that. We talked about this. <laughs> Isn't that how it goes sometimes, Right have a discussion with your kids, and then they do the opposite, and they're like, what are you talking about? I have no idea. That conversation. Asking for a friend, part one. Here's the question. Can I still have fun as a Christian? We live in a straight-up party town, don't we? Come on, right? It's always a party. We have 122 festivals a year. Someone asked me, how's church attendance? I said, it's a roller coaster is what it is. One day we're high, one day we're low, one day we're real, real high, the next day we're real, real low, all right? It's like, it's a roller coaster because there's so much going on. And I, born and raised here, love this city, love to party, right? I love to have a good time. It's a, it, it, you know, you got to say it that way if you're going all in, right? And somewhere along the way, we let other people hijack Christianity and act like Christianity is for prudish people, boring people, people who don't know what to do with themselves during the week. It's Friday night. What should I do? I don't know. Have some fun, right? Somewhere along the way, we've looked at the Bible as a rule book rather than a fulfillment book. Come on, that's a thought right there. You ought to write it down. That's tweetable. Here, here you go. Like, here, here's the deal. Like, we've looked at the Bible as something that's keeping us back from something rather than giving us everything. And somewhere in the process, what I think has happened, especially in America, is that Christianity has a branding issue. We have a branding problem because we have people who don't know God telling everybody about who God is. You, you watch the local news, the local idea, that they've read four verses somewhere and they've taken them from obscure places and they've decided that Christianity can't be exciting and passion-filled and life-giving, that it's got to be something that, I don't know, can you laugh in church? Some of y'all have been around here for a while, you know you can. <laughs> I actually had somebody say uh, about our church one time, I was like, I, I don't know, I mean, like, uh, you, go to, you go to that happy church? 
And I said, as, as opposed to going like the, the really sad and boring one, right? If I've got a choice, which my, what's your pick, everybody? Come on, go into the happy one. And, and I think sometimes it's because we, we see God in such a serious light. Now, there is a serious part of Christianity, absolutely. God, God sent his son to save us from our sins, very serious. There's some character issues we have to grow in, very, very serious. But we have to remember that God is the one who created laughter, that God is the, the one who created joy. He, he's the one that says, it's the joy of the Lord that shall be your strength. Wait, wait, wait. So what should I be strong in? Not my attitude, not my mindset. I should be strong in joy. And so when I read the Bible, I see the Bible from this perspective. And for some of y'all, you need to put your seatbelts on right now, okay? Because I just, when I read scripture, I see it differently. Do y'all realize that Jesus is the OG cowboy of all cowboys? Do y'all realize this? Revelation 19.11, then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Ladies, you want somebody running in on a white horse? Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. He's a cowboy, everybody. Or to be politically correct, not a cowgirl, but you can be one, all right? How about this? Jesus had nicknames for all of his people. He called, in Matthew 16, he said, Peter, Peter, I'm going to call you the rock. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, we're going to call you the sons of thunder. I mean, Jesus had a straight-up wrestling team before wrestling was cool. Do y'all read the Bible with this perspective? I, I see this. I'm like, can you imagine one day the sky is going to break open and Jesus is going to come riding in on a white horse, everyone? If that's not humorous to you, I don't know what is. It'll be joyous. It'll be celebratory. I think about my nickname in heaven. What's it going to be? Some of my, my uh, friends call me JC. I'm like, yeah, I've got Jesus Christ initials. You got it, you know? If you want to go real deep, Joshua is actually the, the Hebrew word for Jesus. I'm feeling so spiritual right now, aren't you? <laughs> it's a lot of pressure to live up to. I think my parents were having fun, you know? Like, I don't know. Uh, how about this? For some of y'all are going to love this. Uh, Morgan, says, Morgan says that Jesus was the original crossfitter. Luke 14 to 27, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my. That's funnier than y'all are laughing at. If you don't know what crossfit is, it's, you know, yeah, look it up. Google it. Here's, here's the deal. Somewhere along the way, we forgot that God's the one who created laughter. He's the one who invented sex. What? He's the one who came up. He's the one who turned water into wine. Yeah, 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 there's some boundaries of what maybe you should do with that wine, but here's the deal. He's still the one who made it. He's still the one who created it for our good and for our enjoyment. And somewhere we've let the news in the world and the, the world's definitions define Christianity. And today, I'm just here to steal all that back. I want to have as much fun as I possibly can have, and I want to be like Jesus. How about you? I mean, kids, kids like to be around Jesus. You know what kind of person you got to be for kids to like you? I mean, if you don't know, go to kids' church. We'll find out if you got it or not. Kids will tell you. No, you're, you ain't got the moves, all right? Like, they got dance moves. They've got songs. This Christmas, we're going to have our kids in service, and they're going to blow you away. They're going to out-worship some of you. It's going to put us to shame. Here's the deal. They love Jesus. Listen, kids are amazing, but somewhere, somewhere, we, we've let the world hijack and steal this away from us. 
I think about, uh, we, we think church and laughter shouldn't go together. It looks like, like the Amish feel about technology. Like, you just can't do that. I recently uh, heard uh, uh, an Amish father and his son uh, went to the mall for the first time. And when they got into the mall, they were just amazed. I mean, they just had never seen these things. And, and, and they came along and, and they saw these two metal mechanical doors that kept opening and closing with lights on top of them. And while they were standing there, they were like, son says, Dad, Dad what is that? He says, I, I don't know what it is. And this elderly woman come rolling up in her wheelchair, and she presses a button, and the doors open, and she rolls into a room. And the doors close behind her, and they, they watch the numbers climb and climb and climb and climb to the top. And they're like, what's going on? And, and all of a sudden, the lights begin to go in the other direction, and the doors open, and a 24-year-old young lady comes walking out. <laughs> and the father says, son, Quick, get your mother. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what you say, all right? <laughs> I don't know if that's going to make it in the next service, all right? Here's my simple thought. I wanted to help you to laugh because Scripture tells us that laughter is like good medicine. And we've, we've said, well, laughter is for the comedy show, and laughter is for the comedy club, and joy is for when I'm over here, and Sunday is where I just deal with shame and guilt. Listen, if you're, if you're dealing with shame and guilt, this is a great place. Listen, you can bring all that you are here, but what God is going to trade your shame and guilt for is the joy of the Lord. He's going to trade it for forgiveness and joy, and listen, there is nothing in the world that is better than the joy of the Lord. The Apostle Paul, uh, it's not in the notes, but I love, he even said, listen, uh, we don't get drunk as you suppose. We're just, he says, filled with the Holy Spirit. He equated the Holy Spirit as being better than having a few drinks, everyone. Because he said, listen, there's more fulfillment and joy in him. But listen, what has happened, what has happened is somewhere along the way, pretenders crept into our Christian life. Pretenders, people who are religious but not real with God. People who have a form of godliness but not the power of God. We, they've kind of crept in and we've let them define who God is to us and what he should look like. And here I'm today, I'm here to take it back. I'm asking for a friend. Can you still have fun in church? The answer is a resounding yes. Yes, you can be a Christian and have the most fulfilling and happy life. So much so that the people around you are going to come along and say, why aren't you depressed? Why didn't that losing your job, why didn't it wreck your life? Why? Because I have hope that's beyond the job. I have hope beyond the situation. I, I love my family, but my family aren't God. And because I have God in my life, there's a, there's a difference. In the book of Galatians, the, the Apostle Paul is kind of dealing with this frustration of how pretenders, they crept in and they begin to try and twist the things of God. Galatians chapter 2 and 4, I love how the message translation says this. It'll be on screen if you want to follow along or online. It says, while we were in conference, I like that word, we were in conference. Sounds so formal. While we were in conference, that's where we are right now, okay? Quiet, we're in conference. We were infiltrated by spies pretending to be Christians, who slipped in to find out just how free true Christians are. Their ulterior motive was to reduce us to their brand of servitude. 
just a rule book. I mean, if you go over there, they're going to tell you to stop this and to stop that and to do that and to go here and you got to find your way. No, no, no. They're trying to reduce us to their brand of servitude. We didn't give them the time of day. Would you read that with me? Come on. We didn't give them the time of day. We were determined to preserve the truth of the message for you. What's the truth of the message? That the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? That God has what we need. That God has prepared a place for us, that God is taking care of us in every single situation. It's even in moments where we have a little one right here. I'm going to draw attention. A little one right here. How many of y'all know babies are of Jesus? Right? And so when they cry, you have two reflexes. Anybody here have two reflexes, right? If you've got kids, you go, oh, oh, it's a challenge, right? If you don't have kids, you're like, what are they doing? But listen, as soon as you get you a kid, you'll be gracious, right, everybody? Listen, that's why we have mom's rooms. That's why we have places. That's why we care. But here's the deal. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Focus on, focus on God's answer is the family. And God gave his kids for joy. Come on, if you're, if you're a stick in the mud, God's going to send you a kid that's going to make fun of you, all right? <laughs> They'll embarrass you. They'll throw food at you. They will do all these things. And what, what do you have to do in those moments? You just have to embrace the embarrassment, all right? Where was I going with that? I don't know. But here, <laughs> amen. So there's a, a verse and there's a the thought that really encapsulates this idea in the Hebrews that really talks about, the Bible actually said that the, there's a pleasure in sin. And this is where, this is where the enemy creeps in because Hebrews eleven twenty seven says the pleasures of sin for a season. And what a lot of people like to see and even bring up, well, there's, there's pleasure in sin. Well, listen, initially, everything, everything has the potential to bring some pleasure. But if you read the rest of the verse in context, the pleasure of sin for a season. And so there's an initial moment where it feels like a high, where it feels like, oh, that's exciting. But I want you to know it doesn't last. When you're doing the wrong things, it has momentary pleasure. When you're doing the right things, it has lasting joy. It changes your entire life. And so we end up in this battle with our friends asking questions. And so our friends, my friend would say something like, well, I just want to have fun. How many of you have heard that before? I just, I just want to have fun. And it's a lot of times people who grew up around God but not really knowing God. They grew up around religion, and so all they have is a rule book. I just, I just want to have fun. Or they say, why are you so serious? Well, because heaven and hell are reality. That's why I'm serious. There is a part of this that is serious. I'm not diminishing that. But there's a whole other side as well. It's joy-filled. They also say things like, like it's, it's only, and you fill in the blank, it's only, it's only this. It's only, I mean, come on. And they begin to negotiate their way. And what they're saying is, there's some fun in this. And they, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. There is an initial moment of pleasure. But listen, if you commit adultery, there's a moment, there's a night, but then you have to wake up and look yourself in the mirror. You have to look your spouse in the mirror. You got to look your kids in the mirror. You got to look your God in the mirror. And I'll tell you, that moment, the season was not long enough for how that feels. Preaching better than y'all are amen in, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the, you have to elevate the realities so that you keep yourself from momentary stupidity. 
<laughs> my pastor used to say, listen, don't get prideful. Every one of us is just one step away from stupid. <laughs> just, just one. one. So, so listen, none of us are kind of elevating ourselves. What we're recognizing is that the friends will say these things. And here's our response. We start thinking then, how far is too far? I mean, how much is too much? I, well, I'll just do it this one time. Here's the one that's the hardest for some of us Christians. God will forgive me, right? And we begin, to, we begin to take this amazing grace of God and we use it in a way that God never intended. God is incredibly gracious. Today, if you're carrying any sort of past, any sort of sin, welcome to the room because we're, we're all in here because we're in desperate need of a Savior. We're all in here because we need the grace of God. But, but here's the deal. The grace of God isn't a license to live and do crazy things. No, no. The grace of God is the foundation for joy. The grace of God is better than the drink. The grace of God gives you the ability to champion the things of God and run after the things of God. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to stir a little bit of like, let's have fun with what we're supposed to have fun, but let's not have fun where we're not supposed to have fun. Because here's the deal. The fake will always run out, but the real will be with you. Stay with you. So in the latter part of Galatians, the Apostle Paul, after he says these pretenders snuck in, here's what he says. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Why did he set you free? To set you free. Because he just likes free people. Because he knows if you're free, you're free to be all that he intends you to be. See, when you're bound, you have to do what you're bound to. When you're free, you're free to be what God intended you to be. And listen, God, God intended you to be more than what you may think. Listen, and I, I've decided, I've decided I'm not going to take the blessing of God and run it into the, the, the world's idea and act like it's going to be okay. Let me say it to you like this. I'm not driving this Maserati down the old town road. How about y'all? We got horses for that. <laughs> I'll be here all day. It says it's for freedom that Christ set you free. And he goes on to say, stand firm then, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So what many people do is... They grew up around a religious idea that was a rule book, and then they experienced the saving grace of God, and it's, it's amazing. It's an experience. It's a high, but then what happens is they trade in this rule book for somebody else's rule book. This is religion. We go from a quiet denomination, you know, that's kind of focused on some of the wrong things. We're, we're focused on this, and they're, they're focused on the structure, and you got to say it this way. You got to wear this. You got to go to this situation, right? And, and then you have an experience with God that's life-changing, and then you swing the pendulum, and then you just go to the other side. This is what, this is what my parents did, and it's, uh, it's been very calculated and very documented in this church. My father grew up in the, the Catholic denomination. And it's very quiet, and, and, and his testimony is he never really experienced Jesus. He never really had a moment where he really got saved. And then some friends invited him to a Pentecostal holiness church. <laughs> you don't know if you've never been. And I teased my dad. I said, Dad, you went from Catholic to crazy all in one week. Like you, <laughs> you swung the pendulum to both sides. And here's what happened. On this side, you had to work your way to heaven. On this side, you didn't have to work your way to heaven, but you had to work your way into the church loving you. And it was about how loud I shouted, 
How well I spoke in tongues or prayed in the spirit, depending on your understanding of theology there. You got all these, these terminology. What happened? All we did was swing from one rule book to the other rule book. And Paul, Paul says, hey, 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 it's for freedom. So, so should we abuse our freedom? No. Should we find ourselves in bondage again? No. What do we have to do? We have to find this healthy place where we recognize that the things of God and the blessing of God are real. That he has something for us that's more fulfilling than anything that the world has to offer. And it's worth living for and dying for. And it's in that, it's in that moment that we begin to live in the purpose of God for our lives. And that's where fulfillment is. That's where it is. And so one of the most famous Old Testament stories in your Bible is the story of Moses. And so the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. And what you uh, may have remembered, or maybe you didn't learn this story in particular, Moses was a Jewish boy, and the Pharaoh was afraid that the Jewish people were going to become so many that the way to control them was to kill the children under two. And so it was just mass genocide, and Moses' mom wanted to protect him. She saw him as special, and so she floats him down a river into Pharaoh's daughter's bathing area, hoping that Pharaoh's daughter would see this child in a basket, and her heart would be one. Rather than following her father's rule, her heart would be one and preserve the child's life. This is, this is Moses being born in a crazy situation. And it's amazing, she floats him down the river, and his sister follows the little basket along the river. I mean, Disney's got some great examples of this, if you want to see it in movie form. And Pharaoh's daughter collects him and decides she's going to raise him. And his sister Miriam walks up and says, would you like me to find a nursemaid for you? She said yes, and she goes back, and she gets Moses' mom to come be the maid to her own child. That's a whole message right there I can't even get into of how God takes what we seemingly let go of and at the right moment, God brings it back to us. I think I might need to preach that real soon. It's a good message. So Moses grows up with everything. He went from having a future of being a brick maker to being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And talk about grow up with everything. I mean, he's the kid down the block that got everything. You know that kid, you kind of love him because you get to play with some of his stuff. <laughs> he had everything. He had everything. And yet, and yet he began to see his people and the purpose of his people and the slavery of his people. And something began to stir inside of him. And it was God stirring him. It was God's calling him to something more. It was God saying, stop looking down here, look up here. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of fame of faith. They, they list some of the greatest men and women of our faith. And here's what it says, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. It says, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. And they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
That's where we got the verse. The, the, the pleasures of sin for a season. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead for his great reward. He, he, he saw that there was something more in this life than the initial high, than the initial gift, than the initial offer of the world. He saw something more. And these three or four verses, I want to give you four principles that we see in Moses' life. That if Moses were here, he would say, hey, tell your friend this. Hey, your friend's got a question. Can I still have fun as a Christian? Can I still, can I still live a life? Can I, can I live a fulfilling life? Moses would say, hey, tell your friend, number one, tell your friend you have an unusual calling. Tell your friend that God made you a Maserati, not a four-wheel drive truck. Amen, everybody? God, God made you and intended you for more, and so you're not going to squander your calling with low living. You're not going to squander your calling in places that you could end up hurt for the rest of your life. No, no, no. You're going to recognize that the book is a fulfillment book, not a rule book, because you have an unusual calling. Now, you may not understand this, but when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, when you surrender your life to him, the Bible says that God adopts you into his family, and then you become co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, unless I'm mistaken, and I don't think I am, if God the Father and Jesus the Son have created everything in the world, wouldn't it be a good idea to be an heir? I mean, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, in my father's house, there are many mansions. You have been adopted into a special family. And until you begin to see yourself as a son or daughter of the most high God, you'll start living and continue to live as though you're not. And what I want to say to you is when people say, well, why not? Because I, I am fine, China. I'm not a paper plate. Amen, everybody? Listen, we're going to take some care, and I'm going to put my life up in the cabinet, and you're going to see some of the achievements that God has done through my life because I have recognized that there's more for me. There's more for you. This is such an important part of who we are. Acts chapter 13 and 2, it describes the disciples. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. The word calling isn't a deep term. It's just like someone calling you. It's God walking up and calling out your future. It's God walking up and saying, Jackie, God's called you to this, to make a difference in this world. You've got a ministry gift. You have a calling to communicate the gospel and to change lives. And it's someone walking up and just saying, I believe in you. Yeah. Think about it, Meredith. That, that it's not by accident that you're here. That God, God brought you here to sit on the front row to say amen real loudly when I preach. <laughs> but see, he's made you a leader, and you already know it. And it's the process uh, of recognizing that you need people in your life who are going to see what's in you and call it out. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. See, calling, we've kind of mysticized it, like, you know, some sort of mysticism. What's going on? No, no, no. God is just walking up saying, hey, I made you for something more than that. Yeah. You need to break the poverty mindset. Amen, everybody? You need to break the less than mindset. Amen, everybody? Come on, you gotta, you got to start adopting what God says about you. i got to keep on moving. Here's the second thing. If Moses were here, he'd say, tell your friend that you got to refuse the world's definitions. 
You're going to refuse the world's definitions because the world is trying to take everything that God made and redefine it as something else. I mean, Adam and Eve were in a beautiful garden. They had everything that they needed, and somehow the serpent twisted it as though the one tree that they didn't have was the one thing that was going to change their lives. Well, it did change their lives, not for the better, but for the worse. And somewhere in the process, the enemy has crept into our lives and they think, oh, if I just had that drug, if I just had that, it would fulfill. And I'm just here to say, it's not so. It's not so. You got to refuse the world's definitions. You got to refuse their idea of what is created for you and what is best for you and come back to the word of God. Don't listen to my opinion. For heaven's sake, don't listen to Facebook, all right? Can we forward things that we haven't even read and we like things that we don't even know what they're talking about? <laughs> Another sermon right there. 1 John 2 and 15 says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you, not, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the love for the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. He's saying you, you have to come back to that God has defined what is important to us. And in every, every society that has collapsed before us, there has been a moral decline where we've accepted the world's definitions over God's definitions. And every society that has fully collapsed, the last battle, the last moral stand was on gender. Take some time if you want to study history, you want to study every empire that grew large and grew strong, when it all fell apart is when they begin to let the moral fibers, the values that they stand on, fall apart. Now here's the deal. We all have things we disagree with. We don't have to be angry about them. What we need to show them is that the joy of the Lord is far better than those things, that God's way is the most fulfilling way. God's plan works, and instead of being angry with people, we just need to example the way. We just need to let our lives show the joy of the Lord, and our lives will be enough for the world to come and say, what about this, and what about that, and how do I do this? Here's what I'm trying to say. Don't accept the definitions. Stick with God's. All right, number three. Got two more. I'm wrapping up, all right? Getting quiet in this Amish church. Number three. Moses would say, you need to choose God's people. You need to choose God's people. Now, is he saying don't love the world? That's not what he's saying. Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 says he chose God's people instead of joy, enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. The greatest joy you're looking for is coming in the relationships around you. It, you know, the greatest joy you're going to have in relationships between a man and a woman is when you marry and honor God and you serve that woman and you serve that man and you honor them the way the Lord said to honor them. It'll be the most fulfilling and exciting part of your life. If you think I'm wrong, just go look at just about every, every school, Stanford, Harvard, go to every Ivy League school that have done studies on the happiest people in the world. And you'll find that the happiest people in the world, the people who have the best marital relationships, all right? Y'all follow me, code? Follow, marital relationships are people of faith, people who have a common moral value, people who are monogamous and spend their lives together. That's not even giving you the Bible. I'm just giving you statistics. When you choose God's people, you're choosing God's best. And so today we're launching small groups, not for us. We're launching small groups because that's where the joy really is. 
when you're sitting around the table with Doritos and a Coke and you're talking about how your kids embarrassed you in church, yeah, that's where it's good, all right? That's, that's where you can actually be real. We have a line around here. I want you to write it down. It's important. Here's what we say all the time. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And today, I just, I want to ask you, what kind of a future do you want? And this is the season to invite some people into your life that are living the future that you want to have. And so we, we have about 40 small groups launching. We may have some more coming in in the next few weeks. We only have a few of them exampled in the hallway. We just like you to be able to walk down the hall and be able to interact with people because I, I think there's always that little bit of fear of like, well, I don't know. Are they going to be weird? Am I going to like them or not? And listen, we just try to put it there in front of you. But you're going to have to choose God's people if you want God's best. You're going to have to get a circle around you that's celebrating who you are and who God made you to be. Here's number four, and we close. You need to look ahead to the reward. There will be days, there will be sacrificial days. There will be days where you're going to have to discipline yourself to do what's right. Okay, I, I get it, I get it. That, that's the truth. But Moses said he was looking forward to the reward. Hebrews 12 and 11, he says, no, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See the world? Momentary pleasure, long time of pain. God's way? Momentary decision to train yourself, to discipline yourself, and a lifetime of joy. That's the difference. You can have a moment of joy and a lifetime of pain, or you can have a moment of discipline and a lifetime of joy. And so what I'm saying to you today is you're going to have to look ahead to say, you know what? God has better for me. I've got an unusual calling. I'm not taking your definition of that. Oh, no, 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 no. The Bible is real. The Bible is true. The Bible is the standard. No, no. I'm going to choose God's people. I'm going to get around some people who want to build this up in my life. And you know what? On the hard days, I'm going to stand next to somebody and say, one day, it's coming. It's not here yet. There will be a day, like Moses where all the world around you will offer up the best they have and you'll take it and walk out of slavery into the promised land that God has for you. Amen, Amen everybody. Amen. Would you bow with me all around this room? Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. Would you consider the message? If you're here today and, and like me, you grew up around religious things, but you lost the joy, you lost the relationship, Maybe you discovered today that you had religion and not Jesus. Maybe you discovered today that somewhere in the process you adopted a rule book rather than a relationship. If that's you today, I, I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to stand. I, I will not ask you to come to the front. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to help you to make a very important decision. That is to surrender the control of your life to Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Would you whisper the words out loud? Come on, say it right after me. Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And today I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. God, would you forgive me for trying to do this on my own? Would you forgive me for my sin? And God, would you give me the power to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name. With just a moment longer, stay focused on prayer. God, I pray. God, I pray that we would sense your joy and your favor and that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. God, that we would refuse the world's definitions and that we would walk in your grace and your power. And God, we would choose your people. 
And God, we look forward not only to the reward here, but the hereafter. And so God, I bless every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you for them today. We celebrate you in Jesus' mighty name. We all shouted amen.